Hi, it's Casey. Welcome to Shine On, an Ella's Leash production. Brought to you by Dr. David Bank at the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic, and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco. Visit Dr. Bank and thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. Today, we discuss sanity. Both of my guests tried to commit suicide at the age of 14. One of them you know, singer-songwriter Judy Collins. It may surprise you to learn that this accomplished woman who's battled alcoholism and depression suffered from a food addiction. This is the first time that I've really discussed this at any depth because it's a difficult area. And a lot of people suffer from this issue of uh, food addiction, disorder, eating disorder, whatever you want to call it. So my new book, which is called Cravings, will come out in February. And it is the story of my eating disorder, but it's also, and my life, um, you know, you can't, <laughs> you can't tell one without the other. And then I intersperse my own story with the um, biographies of of uh, diet gurus, everybody from Lord Byron to um, Atkins and Tarnower and Andrew Weil and etc. So I talk about the addiction, about the history of people who've tried to, who've had their own problems. I mean, most of the people who've had, who've written these books, and there are thousands of them about eating disorders and about food addiction and about diet. Mainly, they don't talk about eating disorders. They talk about diet and how to control, control, control. Um, I have had no, I've had very little luck with that aspect of it so I just tell the story of what I went through. Okay, people are saying am I hearing this right? Judy Collins had a food addiction? Yes, right. (laughs) Well, we're all addicted to sugar, I think. Most of us are. Many of us who start out life wanting to, you know, go down and and buy all the fudge and the Necco Mm -hmm. wafers and the the Mars bars, um, it gets started very early in a lot of people. And then, of course, if, if you're an alcoholic and you stop drinking, then you're told to eat sugar all the time. That will help the cravings. Well, P.S., hello, that just starts another round of addiction. You know, it's so interesting. I haven't had a drink for 38 years, and I've been abstinent from my eating disorder for, oh, 33, I guess, 34 maybe. Um, So it's been a long road to health, but I, I think the real secret is that I don't eat sugar, grains, flour, junk, um, you know, any of the above, corn. And when you take those out of your food plan, I wrote the book because I see obesity in this country like you wouldn't believe. I also see people who are using sugar to the max. Of course, it's so hard, it's so easy to get hold of sugar. But people don't realize that, yes, we put the alcohol down, but then... You know, I my temperature is 98.6 most of the time, and that means that I'm like I'm a like I'm a brewery. You know, I am if I have sugar, grains, flour, corn, etc., those things turn into sugar in my body, and I don't even have to eat sugar to get that. But if you're loading up with sugar, well, uh, it's poisoned. There's no quit. You know, we don't have to look at the statistics for diabetes and heart illness and weight and, you know, poor circulation, et cetera, et cetera. So you're right. You know, we didn't know this. We didn't understand this about um, the addiction to sugar being as 
as uh, damaging physically. If you look at the statistics, and they're at 39% of this country are overweight. You know, we talk about body mass and trying to get down to our essential weight with the paleo diet, which is great. I think anything you do to correct that curve and get yourself on an eating plan that's healthy can't be bad. (laughs) Can't be all bad. Right. But look at how all of our society glamorizes sugar. Like chocolate is the sexiest thing in the world. You can't go anywhere and get away from it. There are stores and continents devoted to the sugar addiction. Now, of course, it's gone in in depth into our entire food supply because the bread we eat, the things that used to be very simple or uh, no GMOs, Mm -hmm. no added corn. Corn was, you know, corn was a supported crop and still is a supported crop by by the government. And the only reason they can stay alive is because they make the farmers, God bless the farmers. Right. Maybe they could raise kale. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, you know, God bless them, but but corn syrup is in everything. Yeah, and it's so, not good for you. Period. Not no, good it for you. It's the addiction. It means more, and of course, the addiction, just like alcohol, means I want more. And I don't have much to say about it. You know, it's not as though it's a moral issue. It's not a a failing of the will. It's a actual physical addiction fueled by those certain foods. Right. So I wanted to get as much of my story out because it took me a long time. It didn't happen overnight. Yeah. Or it happened over many nights, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, you can't fight the, the chemicals in your brain. When you take sugar, you can't fight, you can't just say no to the chemical reactions that are happening in your brain with sugar. That's right. I started, my story is brief and painful and very, very happy with a very, very happy ending. And I started as a child loving sugar. I went into my, by the time I was 20, I was exercising like a maniac because I knew that I needed the endorphins in my body to fight my depression, which had probably started with a number of elements, but I think sugar and alcohol had a lot to do with them. And then over the course of years, I went on every diet known to man and woman. Then I got into the anonymous programs where I got sober, and I found the answer to my food problem slowly but surely. So there is an answer. Mm -hmm. It is simple. There are people who get it, that fat is not bad. Right. Your brain needs it. Yeah. And your body needs it to lose weight. So I eat wonderfully and abundantly now. I can have butter, coconut oil. I can have any kind of fat that I want. You know, the healthcare people in the diet business have got it wrong for so many years that they've ruined people's lives. Yeah. Every now and then, though, you'll meet a doctor who tells the truth. I saw at a program the other night, a doctor said, if you are eating milk chocolate, I need you to know it's Satan. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We're talking to Judy Collins. The Mental Health Association of Westchester will welcome you to a special evening Thursday, October 13th. It's an evening of conversation and song, and you're going to tell a little bit about your story. And you mentioned depression and also alcoholism, but which came first? Do you think the the sugar caused the depression or, you know, how, how do we piece the story together? Well, the first addiction is always food, you know, because we have to eat to live. And sugar was introduced to me by the time I was, you know, a tiny tot. 
um, I think our formula at that point had sugar in it, and and then there was sugar in the house all the time, and I was immediately attracted to and sunk my teeth into the the chocolates and the other things, you know. So I believe that that happened first. The sugar happened first. Then came the alcohol. Then came, uh, you know, then came life roaring down the tracks. It's am- it's amazing how much you were able to accomplish, especially you know, battling depression? Well, I have always been an advocate on my own behalf and tried to find people who could help me. I was lucky because when I was in therapy starting in 1963 in New York, I was not with psychiatrists. I would probably be dead Mm -hmm. because my doctors could not prescribe sedatives. And my my psychologists. On the other hand, my my medical doctors would give me anything I wanted. You know, I I had a I had a bottle of you know a thousand quaaludes in my cabinet when I got sober. I never took them because I thought they would interfere with my drinking. <laughs> Um, you know, I didn't, fortunately, I really was very, very cautious about any kind of drug because I knew they all made me nuts. Anything that was uh, potable, smokable, I mean, anything that you would put in a pipe or eat in a brownie, they all made me crazy. So I couldn't go. I knew I couldn't go there. I was walking a very narrow line, and I also knew that I had to exercise to take care of the depression. So I've been lucky because I've been always hunting for help. Yes, yes, you've been lucky because you've always been hunting for help. Do we want to talk about, it's your call, how bad it got, the depression? Oh, how bad? Well, I tried to kill myself when I was 14. I mean, that's, you know, that's where it takes you if you're unlucky. Although people can be depressed for their whole lives and not commit suicide. You know, I was thinking about my wonderful son, Clark, who took his life in 1992. And I was thinking about, I was looking at his picture this morning while I was doing my meditation, my yoga, and I said to myself, you know, if you can just see around the corner, if you can just get a glimmer through your own depression, and he had depression and had, he'd been sober for seven years, and when he took his life. And so depression, I think, is, you know, depression runs in families. Suicide doesn't run in families. Uh, I mean, there may, may be clusters in families, but it's the chemical imbalance that is the depression. And then how do you, how do you straighten that out? How do you keep that ship on course? How do you keep the rudder going the right place? And there are lots of things other than drugs. I want to say I'm an advocate. I don't take anything. I take a little Synthroid, but that's it. And I haven't since I got sober. My, I know that there are people who must take uh, a mood-altering drug in order to control their depression. And I think that's essential to know that it's there. But it's not for everybody. It's not all the time. And God knows it's not for everything that ails you. Right, right. Um, you know, this is such sacred ground that we're standing on now, but I know this, uh, you're going to help a lot of parents. Here in Westchester and the Hudson Valley, we have a huge heroin epidemic, so there are plenty of moms and dads out there who have lost children, not uh, not only to suicide, but to drugs. Yeah. A big problem here. I mean, how, as a mother who has lost a son, how do you go on? How do you find peace in the world? Well, I keep doing my my service. I try to help other people. I try to write about it. I try to reach out when I can. Um, I have written a number of books about mental health. Uh, 
about surviving terrible loss. I wrote a book called uh, The Seven T's about getting over traumatic loss, primarily suicide, but other things too. And there are actions. I think action is the key. Education is the key. Finding a group somewhere of some kind, anonymous or not. Mm-hmm. Um, churches have them, survivors of suicide, compassionate friends. There are lots of people out there, and if you can get yourself to a computer and find out, you know, put the words in and see what pops up, because there are groups online, there are there are live groups, there are church groups, uh, spiritually oriented groups. I think you have to do everything you can, and, and if you find a place where you're desperate, put yourself into a hospital. You know, there is always that. You can have a few days if you're desperate, and you can get a psychiatric diagnosis that'll get you some help for a short period. In the long run, there are many issues. Laughter, friends who understand some kind of professional help, exercise, meditation, doing what you love, whether it's painting or singing or drawing or walking or bird watching, um, whatever it is that gives you pleasure. Beautiful. You have been so supremely kind and generous. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners today? Well, music is very healing, and I think that's partially what I contribute my own whatever my health to mental physical and emotional health it does keep me going and uh, i highly recommend it join judy collins at the emblem theater in mamaronek thursday october 13th for an evening of music and conversation to benefit the mental health association of westchester you're listening to shine on the health and happiness show with casey on 100.7 whud if you have a question or want more information about anything you've heard on the show, email kcradio at gmail.com. Information, fun, and inspiration. This is Shine On, the health and happiness show. Ladies, you know how good it feels to catch a glimpse of your own reflection and smile back at it. Dr. David Bank at the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic, and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco can help refresh your reflection naturally. Long-lasting Thermage uses radio frequency to strengthen your skin. Thermage can help you regain a youthful contouring of your cheekbones and jaw. It works great on stretch marks and on your legs and around your knees, too. A Fraxel laser treatment pinpoints sunspots, scars, and wrinkles and stimulates your own natural collagen. Fraxel can help change damaged skin into glowing, healthy skin. Ladies, in less time than a yoga class or a mani-pedi, you can renew and rejuvenate your skin and smile back at your reflection. Take the first step today. Call Dr. David Bank at the Center for Dermatology in Mount Kisco. Here's the number, 914-241-3003. And visit thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for stopping by to shine on today. Do you know a young person with a mental health diagnosis who's on medication? I bet you do. There is hope for that person. Lauren Polly is a speech and language pathologist now in California. She's written the book, The Other Side of Bipolar, Revealing Your Strengths to Move Beyond Your Diagnosis. I was diagnosed when I was 14 after a suicide attempt. Um, So I was struggling at school with a lot of social issues, and I was just getting more and more confused in terms of what I was kind of perceiving in the world around me. So social awkwardness, kind of weirdness with my classmates, um, what I was really seeing 
seeing with people on the surface didn't really match what I was aware of with the energy beneath it. And the whole thing about how I was supposed to interact with the people got very confusing as well. Um, I started having very big mood fluctuations, um, lots of spinningness with my mind, a lot of anxiety, especially around other people. Um, And so I had started kind of playing with this downward spiral, I guess you would say. It got more and more and more and more intense until I started trying to kill myself. Um, Eventually, my parents found my suicide letter, and I got taken to a psychiatrist. And throughout the conversation with the doctor, it came out that my aunt was bipolar. And because of the family diagnosis, it was kind of like that one window opened up in their mind of, okay, well, if that's your aunt, that's what you're experiencing here, that's your diagnosis to go off of in the future. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for stopping in. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, Lauren Lauren Polly is our guest. You mentioned that, uh, and I want to just get clear on this because it Mm -hmm. it struck me. You said things on the outside didn't match the energy underneath. What does that mean? Oh, goodness. Um, For me, and really where I work with my life coaching and my energy work practice is looking more at the energetics of the world. And so often we see one thing with our eyes and people interact with you on a surface level, and yet the energy that is underneath it is a total disconnect. So it's like when you walk into a room and someone's smiling at you and they're appearing very friendly, but underneath it you can sense these waves of anger, of judgment. Um, So if you are kind of more sensitive to the ups and downs of other people, the things that don't match in your world, meaning they look one way but you're perceiving something very different, it can get very confusing and kind of make you feel a little crazy if you aren't asking the questions of what you're aware of. Right, and what 14-year-old can say to the people in her life. Gee, you're saying one thing, but I feel something differently. (laughs) They're not very open to that conversation. And a lot of 14-year-olds don't even know to ask that. We're only taught to really interact with the world on a surface level. So when you do have a deeper perception of the world and a different way of seeing things, if it doesn't match the standards of what everyone else is doing, you start to feel a little weird and get very, very insecure. And I think that's not, even if you're not diagnosed, there's just this insidious thing that we do where we always make ourselves the wrong one in the interaction. Um, so, of course, if the question's up of either they're wrong or I'm wrong, you're always going to make yourself wrong, first and foremost. Yeah, and that's what kids do. Kids feel, and I don't know why this is, but I know it's true, kids feel they caused it. Maybe yes. maybe because they're the center of their own universe and their universe is small. But if something happens and the parents divorce or whatever, it's their fault. And I think that's so key because if you start looking at like this self-blame thing, and that's exactly what I went through, it was like, wow, there's something really wrong with me because I don't kind of get what everyone else gets here. Mm-hmm. And um, making yourself wrong all the time, you kind of go down that downward spiral, and that's what led me down that suicide path of like, well, if I don't really get what's going on here. I must be really wrong. I wonder if I'm messing things up for other people. Right. That's kind of the path that leads you down into that darkness. And so then the best thing you can do for the world is to leave it. Pretty much, you know, and that's the thing. And you start rationalizing, well, my parents have a brother, so at least they'll still have one kid, and my friends won't miss me that much. There's a weird rationalization that starts to take hold in your world, and you kind of start talking yourself more and more into it. Wow. Awful. Lauren Polly, I'm so sorry you went through this. The other side of bipolar, revealing your strengths to move beyond the diagnosis. Your diagnosis, and I'm sure the medication that followed, was just another part of the journey. It was, and that's the whole thing. The book that I wrote takes you on that trajectory of kind of that downward spiral um, through the Western medical system with all of the medications, the side effects, the therapy that kind of um, pinholes you more so than develops the entire aspect 
of your being and your life. And then later into my 20s, actually meeting holistic psychiatrists and then stepping out even more and more into every, pretty much any and every system I could find that offered me any glimmer of hope of moving beyond it, I went there and started experimenting for myself how to actually harness the strength. Like if that weird incongruent thing that I perceived wasn't actually a weakness making me sensitive, but actually was a strength that I could utilize while this thing's going on on the surface. But you know what? I have added insight into what's going on beneath it. How can I actually utilize that to give back to the world and create a life? Well, you have. Do you feel that everyone who's diagnosed bipolar or many of the people diagnosed bipolar actually have a hidden gift? Oh my goodness, yes. And I wouldn't just classify it with bipolar. I would say if you're struggling with um, PTSD, depression, anxiety, especially social anxiety, even schizophrenia, there are a lot of gifts that are hidden within what what most people would call madness or craziness. There's a lot of creative energy. There's a lot of insight into the world around us. And when you're sensitive, you're aware of someone else's world. Like I said, that incongruity of energy and what you see on the surface, a lot of times that will take you down more of that madness path. But if you could be clear with what you're aware of and have that inner strength to know that and to move forward, you can start to really unravel the confusion, find your feet in this world, and then kind of use it as a springboard into greater possibilities. So often when you're diagnosed or your children is diagnosed, not only are you given a label of that diagnosis, you're also given a path for their life, meaning these are the behavior characteristics. These are the future outcomes that are likely to happen. These are the red flags that will send them down the rabbit hole. And I have found through my own journey that Yes, to be aware of those things, but not to buy them as an absolute fact that that is the only way this can go. And I think that's the one way that we stop ourselves constantly of this is the only possibility because this is what someone told me. Um, I would say definitely do the medical thing if that's working for you. Ask questions. Have the doctor actually be open to you questioning what they're doing, be in a full-on conversation, and that's what I ran in on my early years. The doctors were not open to discussing my care with myself or my parents. When they asked questions, it was more like, doctor knows best. I challenged myself. We changed doctors multiple times till we found someone who was open to holistic practices, open to our questions, and really had a different viewpoint, and that really changed everything. Um, So don't, don't settle, I would say. Continue, continue, continue to seek until you find someone to work with that gives you the glimmers of hope. Let me ask you this, Lauren Polly, the other side of bipolar. So were you bipolar? You know, in my 30s, um, this was six years ago, my psychiatrist at the time actually overturned the diagnosis. Um, So it was after years and years and years. I mean, when I was 14 to 20 years old, I was swallowing about 14 pills a day. I was on heavy doses of medication. And throughout my 20s to 30s, that was the time where I was working with holistic psychiatrists, um, working with alternative practices, and really challenging myself to develop you know, my personality traits, my professional qualities, going to schooling. Um, Throughout that whole path, I was learning tools and tricks to be able to not only maintain myself, but to actually challenge myself so my entire being started to grow and grow and grow and develop more. By the time I hit 30, my psychiatrist that I was working with, I was hardly on any medication. I was only taking one pill, and it was a very, very, very low dose, one that's not really proven to do much. So with her, I opened this conversation of like, I would really like to get off the medication if that's possible. I'm hardly, you know, I'm on a very minimal dose of only one drug. It's not 
um, not really clinically significant at this point, she was willing again to work with me to taper off the medication under her guidance. And at the end of that journey, that was my question to her, you know, and was I ever really bipolar? And um, <laughs> her response was beautiful. She says, Lauren, does it actually even matter at this point? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of the bigger thing. She classified me more as kind of having a tendency towards severe anxiety and depression, more so than the bipolar label. Um, But at that same time, I love that question, is it really relevant? Once that label isn't the defining defining factor in your life, that's where the freedom to start to explore more possibilities really comes from. Um, That's the phenomenon that we all do. We get a label and a definition. And we're stuck. And it makes me really mad. I don't know how you feel, but I'm really mad at the doctor who said she's bipolar. Give her this. End of story. Follow this road. Yeah. And unfortunately, that is uh, the majority of what goes on these days. There are amazing professionals out there who are challenging that paradigm, which I'm hoping my book will really speak to them. Um, Because unfortunately, even in a medical profession, I work as a medical speech pathologist, even when you have that diagnosis in a medical way, once you have that, it's a definition and all questions stop. And that to me is detrimental if the questions stop. So does the exploration for different possibilities. So you are locked into that one thing. Whatever you do, whatever path you go on, if it's for yourself, your child, keep the question in your mind. I mean, it could be a story like me where years down the the road, it's like, oh, you don't need medication. You can actually hold a job. You can have an advanced degree. Um, There are a lot of success stories like that where they're the people who stayed in question and really challenged the paradigm to be able to move forward. Very well said. Is there anything else our listeners need to know this morning? I would just say, you know, moving beyond any mental angst is totally possible. There is nothing that you are ever, ever, ever stuck with forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Continue to question, continue to put one foot in front of the other and allow yourself to dream because those dreams will be those nuggets of hope that glimmer and keep you moving forward. Lauren Polly, her book is The Other Side of Bipolar. Find more at laurenpolly.com. See you next week. And don't forget to save the date for our Shine On Night Out, Saturday, September 24th. Get details at caseyradio.com. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, an Ella's Leash production. The content of Shine On, the health and happiness show is intended for general information purposes only. Shine On, the health and happiness show is made possible with support from the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco. Let Dr. David Bank recapture your youthful look. Visit thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at caseyradio.com. Join Casey for another edition of Shine On, the health and happiness show, next Sunday morning from 100.7 WHUD.